Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Possessing the Peace of Jesus, and it is part of the Stress Less Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. All right, let's get into the Word this morning, and we're going to go to John chapter 14, but before we do, I'm going to ask our good friend, um, uh, Steve Light, uh, marriage and family therapist, to define for us what stress is. So, Steve, take it away. So let's just begin by asking you to define stress. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, well, so I'm a very visual person, so when I think about stress, uh, I think of it from the perspective of I have a survival system. And for me, if a tiger bursts through the door, that's going to be a type of stress that I'm going to have. Right. For me, that's the, the emergency 911 kind, obviously. and. Uh, what I know that I'm probably not going to do is go through my Rolodex of options and think about what I may or may not do under those circumstances. It's a real life, I'm going to uh, try to survive and I'm going to run, I'm going to try to fight it, I'm going to do whatever I can. I think when we talk about stress uh, in our everyday language, we're not really talking about the 911 kind. We're talking about the stress that comes to be chronic in my life. Uh, I like to think of it as living as if the tiger is in the room. So rather than the tiger bursting through the door, I, I have this imagination that's very complex, and I live in a way that makes things big, makes things difficult, makes things more complex, doesn't simplify things. And uh, I think that's in part what we kind of think about when we think about the word stress. I think that if you look at it from the perspective of the things that we're talking about, the... I. I don't have, God hasn't given me two different systems. One system that's powerful survival system to, you know, like mom pick a car off of their child sort of thing, and then a separate one to deal with everyday stress. It's the same one. So when you realize how powerful it is and it's there, it's intended to be powerful, you have to come to terms with being able to understand that I need to do life without activating that. So when I see something, you know, whatever the hot topics are today, like politics or conversations in social media and whatnot, if I'm not careful, that if, if I'm not able to take a step back and say, hmm, is this something that I want to enter into where, and you can't feel your breathing and you can't feel the adrenaline going through and you're automatically sucked in, then that's the way that we're going to live life. You're going to be sucked into everything using that system. So part of the, the, the choice part of it is, yeah, can I take a step back? Can I analyze the situation? Can I use what I, I don't mean to be technical here, but the prefrontal cortex being what I like to affectionately call my manager or my supervisor, am I going to be making choices from that perspective where I get to think about this and uh, make choices from that perspective? It's a very, very different way of being in the world than if I have a central nervous system that's survival that I'm just using it. 
everywhere I go and everything that I do. Okay. Some of you suspect that you might be living every day and treating normal stuff like somebody doesn't like me with your survival system. You know, one writer talks about uh, using your emotions as an elevator, and he says that we, a lot of us have our elevator stuck on the 10th floor. So every situation calls for an extreme reaction with inside of us and often outside of us. We're going to get into the difference between insiders and outsiders in a few minutes. But let's go to the scripture because Jesus said, and these, these are, this is his final conversation with his disciples before he dies. This is the very last conversation he's going to have with them. And we're going to see that what Jesus says to his disciples, here's what I'm going to leave you with. He doesn't say, I'm going to leave you in Disneyland, in Disney World with no stress. He says, I'm going to leave you with my peace. Not like the world gives you, but I'm going to leave you with my peace. And we're going to skip around here in these verses. We're not going to read every verse of chapter 14. You said, thank God. But we're just going to, we're going to skip around to the verses that apply to this peace that he's talking about. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he said. That's the first thing he said. Trust in God. Now put that in context. Chapter 13 if you read chapter 13, and I hope you will read chapter 13 and 14 and study it and think about it and meditate on it, even if you're not a Bible reader, let me encourage you to go read John 13 and 14. Chapter 13, Jesus reveals that he's going to die. He reveals that someone's going to betray him. Judas leaves the meeting in the middle of the night, identifying himself as the one who's going to betray the Lord. This is a stress, high stress time. This is a time when their world is shaking and coming apart, and Jesus says to them something very counterintuitive. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Hear the anxiety? There's a lot of anxiety in the environment. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He says it again. And do not be afraid. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Roberta Gilbert makes this statement. And it's an astounding statement, really, when you think about it. Jesus seemed incapable of being driven to an anxious response to situations in life. Every response, no matter how severe the crisis, appears to be a thoughtful one. Now, I'm not Jesus, and you're not Jesus. I don't know if that's new information for some of you. Uh, and if, if it is, you might need to get some help outside of the service. If uh, you suspected that you were Jesus. And I know that none of you who are married suspect that you're living with Jesus. You're very... <laughs> that's, that's clear. Jesus showed this full range of, I thought it was very interesting, Jesus shows this full range of emotion in his life. Jesus showed anger, he showed uh, disgust, 
he showed uh, uh, exasperation, he showed dismay, he showed agitation, he showed longing, all, kind, all kinds of human emotions. But I cannot think of one place that he ever showed nervousness or fear or anxiety. Now, th that's quite astounding to me because like I've told you before, early, earlier in my life, I went through a battery of tests and I was discovered that I was told by psychologists that I have chronic anxiety. And uh, so um, I'm, I'm worried about things all the time. I'm worried about the time. I got 27 minutes left. I, what am I, how am I going to do this? But I see this Jesus who never appeared stressed out and he never appeared worried. He said in Matthew 6.25, Therefore I tell you not to worry about your life. Worry is, worry is the what-if game. It's playing the what-if game. Charles Mayo, uh, founder of Mayo Clinic, said, Worry affects the circulation system, the heart, the glands, the entire nervous system. I know of no one who has died from overwork, he said, but I know many who have died of worry. See, we need rest. We really do. We need rest, and that's what the, the, the rhythms of life renewal are about. We need rest. That's a part of it. But if your whole strategy for stressing less is to always do less, you're not grasping the peace of Christ. If, if, you're, all, if you're constantly trying to calm the stormy sea instead of once in a while walking on it, you don't get it. The peace of Jesus is a peace that, number one, defies circumstances. It defies circumstances. John 16, Jesus said, again, my peace I leave with you. In the next sentence, he says, in the world you will have tribulation. The kind of peace the world gives is circumstantial. Let's control all the chaos. If we can get all the chaos under control, then we can have peace. But Jesus Christ didn't operate that way. In fact, this situation, this is Christ's farewell address. Judas has been unmasked. And this is only hours before Christ would know that he would be tortured and killed. And none of us, by the way, live more stressful lives than the one Jesus lived. Think about his life. And it didn't just start in, the la in this 48 hours before his death. It, first of all, the Bible says there was no beauty that we would desire him. How many of you ever get stressed? about your appearance. Well, Jesus was just, eh, I'm not good looking, it's okay. There was no beauty that we should desire. Uh, his birth was very suspicious. His early childhood was chaotic and he got moved around a lot. I mean, really chaotic. I mean, he, they didn't just move across town, man. They moved, they moved to Egypt when he was a baby, and then they moved back at some point. He's, he, he grew up in a dis, disreputable town that one of his disciples heard about and said, what good thing can come from Nazareth? He, as an adult, he was homeless. Authorities scrutinizes every word and every movement to catch him in an inconsistency, a blasphemy, or a lie. He was always under pressure, everything he said. He had a mandate to build a new kingdom with 12 rejects. And I mean they were rejects. I mean it. I don't mean they were terrible people or incompetent or anything like that. But they had been rejected by all the other rabbis. If they wanted to follow a rabbi. Because Jesus picked them up when they were like 30 year old men. 
That meant that no other rabbi wanted them. So Jesus had this mandate to build a new kingdom with 12 rejects, and this kingdom had to last for thousands of years until he returned. He had three years to complete that task. Talk about a deadline. How many of you are stressed because you always have deadlines? Well, Jesus had a deadline. He had no endorsements from Jewish or Roman authorities. He didn't, and, and, and tell you one thing, Jesus didn't have the luxury of one tiny sinful escape. He didn't have, he, he couldn't, he couldn't even, because the Bible says that Jesus said, Satan comes, but he finds nothing in me. So if, if Jesus had just said, if he had just said like a curse word under his breath, it would have been over. The devil would have said, I heard when you, when you dropped that F-bomb. I heard it. I got you. you you're not going to be able to save the world now because you're not sinless. Or, or I saw you when you were all stressed out and you got on your computer and you went and looked at some porn one, one night. You only did it for five minutes. I saw it. I got you. I saw it when you looked at that woman with lust in your heart. You were so stressed, you just needed an escape from reality for a few minutes because all these escapes are trying, we're trying to escape the stress of reality. That's why we sin. That's the number one reason we sin is we're trying to escape the stress of reality. Jesus wasn't allowed one tiny sinful escape. He was under the gun. But Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. My peace. See? Who had it first? Jesus had it. The kind of peace the world gives is the kind of peace that tries to control our environments and our circumstances. See, we don't properly understand the role of interpretation when it comes to being stressed out. And see, Jesus, one of the reasons he was master of stress is because he knew how to interpret his circumstances. Tom Keller talks about this. He talks about, uh, he was talking the other day about taxi drivers or a while back and taxi drivers in New York City. And he said a guy in his church was telling him that he was in a taxi in New York City and the taxi crashed into another taxi. Now, if that happened in Milford or Menden, it would be the end of the day. Everybody would get out, redeal with the situation. Maybe they would be angry. Maybe they'd be upset. You... you you probably wouldn't go to work that day because you'd, you'd call up and say, I just had a wreck. He said they crashed and they didn't even get out of their cars. They just kept driving. Because they interpret a fender bender differently in New York City than they do in Menden. Than you do in Menden. It didn't wreck their day. I'll bet they went home for dinner that night and didn't even tell their wife. You had a wreck today? Oh, you have a wreck every day. What's the big deal? You're in New York City. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I, I, like uh, I like this story, and I've told it about a thousand times. Whoops. I need some help here, somebody. Just Anybody stressed? <laughs> How's that? Can you hear me? All right. Um, Bell Clem was umpire for 37 years. He was known as the old arbitrator. He, he was the ultimate decision maker. To, uh, one day a batter responded when he didn't call the call right away. The pitch had come over the plate. 
he responded, the batter says, what is it? And Bill said, Sonny, it ain't nothing till I call it. <laughs> Jesus knew how to call life in a way that didn't stress him out. Jesus, the disciples were said, this is the end of the world. Jesus, it says he's going to die. We thought we were signing up for a kingdom that was going to come and Rome, Rome was going to be overthrown. We, and Jesus was saying, I'm going to the Father so I can save the world. He interpreted correctly. That's what made the difference. See, interpretation is everything. Let, let's say, for instance, here's a good example, of, I think, of, of interpretation. Let's say that you, are, you go to a hotel and they, they tell you, uh, we're going to give you the honeymoon suite because everything's booked up. So, oh, that's awesome. So you go to this place, and it looks like a bare room at Motel 6. No, no offense to Motel 6. And you're going, this is not a honeymoon suite. This is a dump. Let's, let me give you another example, though. Let's say that you were told you've been arrested, and they're going to put you in jail. And they take you to a room that looks like a Motel 6. What would your response be? Your first letter home would be, hey, this ain't so bad. <laughs> it's all depending on what you call it, you know? It's all interpretation. It, you know, I have never tried to save a drowning cat. But I can imagine what it would be like. I can imagine that the cat wouldn't appreciate it. And I can imagine that I would need a medical attention when it was over. Because the cat do, does not know that I am saving him or her. Some of you don't know that Jesus is saving you. Some of you don't know that Jesus has his hand in your life. It feels like to you, your life, it feels like to you you're drowning but you're really being saved by the power of salvation and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my Holy Spirit, I leave with you. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And this powerful Holy Spirit, no matter how you're interpreting life and no matter how you're feeling about life, you are being saved. Salvation is my past, present, and continuous action in your life. If you can start to tell yourself, no matter what's going on, I'm being saved. This is part of God's plan, for God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For him he did for now, he did predestined that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. Everything that's happening to me is happening for a purpose. It's happening to make me more like Jesus Christ. And more like Jesus is more peaceful. More like Jesus is less stress. Let me tell you something. Satan gained. It, it, let me say it this way. If you stay peaceful in any situation, Satan loses control. Now, now th this, is, this is a fact. Now, this, I didn't just make this up. It's not, not just some words I'm throwing out there. Satan gained authority in heaven over certain creatures because he got them upset. He got them stressed out telling them they didn't have enough authority. When they, were, when they were, for goodness sake, they were living in heaven. Jesus, or, or, or the serpent, got Eve 
feeling anxious about her position in the world. He had to get her anxious before he could control her. He had to get her upset before he could, before he could make her do his bidding. Same thing with you and I. Satan gets control when we get anxious. When we refuse to get anxious, when we refuse to get stressed out, he has no control over our lives. Somebody say amen. Now, here's one of the most interesting things about Jesus and stress is that Jesus demonstrated that the peace that he has, that he wants to give to us, doesn't degrade human connections. You see, the peace that the world gives, the peace that the world understands, often requires that I cut other gut people out of my life. I, in order to have the peace that the world understands, I must isolate. I must get away to some place up in the mountains that you're not there. It, it, there's no way, with the peace that the world understands, I probably can't have tranquility if most of you are in my life because you're disrupting my peace. You're disrupting my tranquility. But Jesus Christ, who's, who's about to go, who's about to be torn to pieces, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, what, what does he do? What's, what's the theme of his life? He's concerned about his disciples. He's, he, his major concern was that, that they, was, was about their faith and their joy and their peace. He did not say one word about his own peace. He was concerned about theirs because this kind of peace is a peace that improves human connection. Evil does not have the upper hand. Love does. Jesus is about to be torn to shreds, and he's extremely concerned that his best friends forever have faith, joy, and peace. This is so amazing. If you go back to chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Imagine that. You're about to be tortured and executed, and all you can think about is making sure your loved ones are okay. I'm telling you, I'm not there yet. So, so you know, I'm just not there yet, so don't push me. I'm not there yet. But that's the goal. That's the peace that Jesus leaves me with, is that when I'm feeling so anxious and stressed, or I have circumstances that should make me feel anxious and stressed, my major concern is about you and the people around me. This kind of peace the world gives is a kind of peace that causes us to disconnect from those humans around us, especially those who are making us feel anxious. The kind of peace the world gives causes us to either isolate or lash out. You know what I mean? What does it mean to you that Jesus spent his last night before his death building peace and joy and faith in the hearts of his followers? What does it say to us that Christ seemed to care more about how stressed his disciples felt in the hour before he was about to suffer? See, like I said earlier, the peace the world gives requires us to isolate from others. We move into our own private emotional space. Now, now I, I'm not saying we don't need some time alone on a regular basis. Sir, Jesus certainly did. What I'm talking about is a false peace that comes from emotional detachment. 
Emotional detachment from others is not the peace of Jesus. The, the word shalom, the, word, the Old Testament word for peace is shalom. And all we have in the New Testament is just the same word. It just has a Greek word. Shalom meant completion. Isolation is the opposite of completion. Jesus' peace is inward, outward, and upward connection. Shalom is being calm, clear, connected. It's, it's the completion of your life with other people. In fact, the word shalom would be the word they would use if they were building a wall, and, and there was a brick missing from the wall. And when they put the brick in that was missing, they would say, now we have shalom, because everything is complete. There, there are basically two types of people in this room when it comes to stress. There are clingers and there are escapers. Clingers get closer to other people during times of stress. Clingers hold on to other people in times of stress. But the, but the problem is it can become very toxic. Clingers are more concerned with comfort than truth and righteousness or letting God have his way. Clingers don't let anyone in their little clique go to the cross. Then there are escapers. Escapers shut down during times of stress. They may, they may use drugs, alcohol, porn, food, binge-watching Netflix, anything to numb the mind from reality. How many, how many clingers do we have in the room? How many, how many escapers do we have in the room? A lot of escapers, you, you binge-watch YouTube videos. And you numb, you escape reality during times of stress. But here, here's how Jesus treated his friend in a stress storm. He didn't cling to them or escape from them. He empathized and connected with them. He didn't clam up or blow up. He looked up and he lifted them up. He stayed connected with those people that were around. This is, a, this is really important. Again, this shalom is you complete others and you allow others to complete you. Churches, marriages, companies need shalom. You know, uh, my... Uh, my wife, Sherry, uh, runs our compassion ministry. And that means she runs the Blessing Barn. And on a Saturday, the Blessing Barn has, I don't know, Sherry, are you back there? How many, how many transactions did you do yesterday? 140 transactions yesterday. I mean, they're like, the thing is, it's exploding over there. These, I mean, the, the leaf-watching buses are coming. That's how big we're getting. So, you know, I, I noticed the other day, Sherry's coming home on Saturday, and she is, she is wiped out, man. And, and, and anybody knows Sherry, she's the type of person that she could, she could work all day like that, and she can come through the door and start throwing food, to, start cooking food. And within like 20 minutes after she's home, we got this hot meal on the table. And so I'm really, I'm really spoiled like that, right? And, uh, but boy, she, I noticed she's coming home dragging. I felt, you know, I, uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you ought to make, you ought to get her some food. <laughs> you shouldn't, you really shouldn't be, you really shouldn't be expecting her to cook after that, you know? And I know I've had a rough day of studying. I mean, it's t <laughs> a really exhausting day of being in the Word and praying oh, for you. 
But, you know, the, what was tripping me up is the word cook. <laughs> that, that, was, that was the problem. Because every time I would think about it, I'd think, you know, I remember that time three years ago when I cooked some quinoa chicken and, and Christy and Elise were there and I tried to serve it to them and they, they refused it and went and cooked their own food. <laughs> and I, 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 I had a little bitterness over that, you know. I really, really, I, I, it's like the, the devil was going, sitting on my shoulders. See, they don't. She doesn't want to eat food. But, but I, I came up, Sherry, you don't even know this, but I came up with, yesterday, I got a revelation. Don't cook. Throw food together. And that works for me. I said, you know, I cannot cook, but I can throw food together. So I, I actually sent her a picture yesterday of the food I was going to throw together. And I did it. I threw the food together. I've done it. I, I don't know, who knows if I can keep this up. It's pretty stressful. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I felt so proud yesterday because she walked in the door and said, I am so hungry. And she didn't say anything bad about the food I'd thrown together. Man. <laughs> what did I do? I practiced Shalom. I practice, I'm not saying I'm good at it or anything like that. A lot of you are way better than I am. Some of you guys can really cook. But I do clean when I cook. You know, Jason's a great cook, and all my kids, Christy's a great cook. Jason, it's an explosion in the house, man, when he cooks. It's boom. But he, he, he cooks much better food than I do. But I try to clean, clean I try to leave a place pretty clean when I cook. But what am I practicing? What am I practicing? I'm practicing. See, love and peace go together. You can't separate love from peace. Peace is not, oh, get away from me. Stay away from me. I need my peace. I got, I got to preach tomorrow. I need my peace. Love, love goes along with peace. You, you will not have a life of shalom if you don't have love. Jesus, his last 48 hours of life was loaded with love was loaded with concern for his disciples. One of the ways to have less stress is you start being more concerned about other people's stress. And let me say that again. I should have had a bladder amen on that. One of the ways that you stop being so stressed is you start getting more concerned about everybody else's stress. I'm going to try again, and this is not working. <laughs> One of the ways that you stop being so stressed is you get more concerned about everybody else's stress. Finally, we have a peace that doesn't compromise. See, the world's kind of peace goes like this. If anybody doesn't like the decision we've made, if anybody doesn't like our direction, we stop. Because if someone's upset, the, the most sinful thing you can do in the culture right now is to make someone else upset. The most sinful thing you can do is to hurt someone's feelings. And I'm not suggesting you should go around hurting people's feelings. I'm not suggesting that at all. Like I just said you need to be concerned about people's feelings. So I'm not contradicting myself. You certainly do. But Jesus, Jesus knew the Father. Remember, shalom is inward, outward, upward. It's staying balanced. Jesus had his own peace. He showed empathy for his disciples stress and their peace but his ultimate authority was the father 
and he wasn't going to be derailed from doing the Father's will because it stressed somebody out. He was connected with the will of God. This kind of peace the world gives is the kind of peace that consistently demands we abandon the will of God and the noble cause that God's put in our heart. The kind of peace the world gives says, oh my, this is upsetting people. Sure, there are times to be sensitive and not upset people, but someone's upset isn't the automatic signal to, diso- to d- abandon the mission. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. But the world must, see Jesus had a must in his life. The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Now let us leave. In other words, this conversation is over. I really care about you and empathize with how you feel, but I choose not to be upset like you are. By the way, I'm going ahead and doing what my Father has commanded me to do. Let's go. In other words, this conversation is over. Let us leave. If you're going to claim the peace of Jesus, you're going to have to be willing to leave anxious conversations. You're going to have to be willing to obey God above all. You know, if I could talk to my younger self, if I could talk to my younger self, one of the major things I would talk to my younger self is about is anxiety and stress. Because I was, hard, I was hard on myself as a younger person when it came to many things. I'm not saying I didn't fail a lot, because I did. I'm talking about things like other emotions, like anger, resentment, irritability, those kind of emotions. I had those kind of emotions. I exhibited those kind of emotions, but I repented, too, about those kind of emotions. Because I saw, I, I, I immediately would know that I have displeased the Lord. The Lord wouldn't be wouldn't be irritable, and the Lord Jesus Christ would not, be, uh, would not be displaying his anger the way I would sometimes display mine. But I did not understand there was a root to the anger, and the root to the anger was anxiety. You know what guy we haven't even talked about in this sermon is Judas. Did you know that Judas' problem was that he was stressed out? Did you know that was a, a big part of Judas? That's what motivated Judas? He was stressed out. This dream, this fantasy that, that, that he had created about what this kingdom was going to be like and what Jesus was going to do for him wasn't coming to pass, and he got anxious. He got stressed out, and he said, I have to take charge. I have to take charge of this. Judas let his anxiety take over his life. Judas, Judas let his anxiety take over his life and his stress turned over his life. So if I could talk to my younger self, it would be, I would treat worry and anxiety with the same seriousness that I would treat anger and irritability. I would have treated it in my life as a sin. I would have treated worry and fretting as a sin. And I would have been a lot harder on it. And in, in, in these later years of my life, and, you know, I'm glad I'm getting some things done before I die that are positive. <laughs> People like Steve Light that I've spent a lot of time with, and we go out to lunch every once in a while, and who's really helped me to understand how toxic anxiety is, how toxic and how, how needless and unnecessary it is, and how it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't cause anything to go forward because 
the world is going to be all that it needs to be because the Heavenly Father is sovereign and the Heavenly Father is in charge and the Heavenly Father can, can take a dead, emaciated, beaten up, pummeled body of the Lord Jesus Christ and raise it from the dead. That's why Jesus didn't worry. What are you basing your security on? What are you basing your security on? What are you basing your peace on? If you look in the mirror to find peace, hmm. Kevin Lombard called me on my birthday and he said, Pastor Phil, go look in the mirror. Tell yourself this is as good as it's going to get. I go look in the mirror. Uh-oh, there's nothing there to, feel, to make me secure. I'm falling apart, literally. Gravity's taking over. But I look into the face of God, and I see the world that he created. I see the majesty that's all around me. I see these new babies that are being born that are just a sign that God is alive. And I see, I see an empty cross and I see an empty tomb, and I say, why do I ever worry about anything? Let's stand. You know, I believe anxiety and stress and worry is so common. I'm not going to invite you forward for prayer specifically for that today. But... Uh, I am, going to, I am going to invite you forward to receive communion in just a minute. I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to come down and receive communion. And I want you to think about this when you receive communion today. I want you to think about these elements. And I want you to think of it as a covenant. This is a promise. This communion is a promise that everything you're worried about is going to be okay. And I want you to receive this covenant, this commitment that God has made with you as a sign that God's going to take care of you. And I know some of you have some very tough circumstances, but God's going to take care of you if you will trust him and you will move in obedience to him and you will claim the peace of Jesus for your own life. Father, in Jesus' name. I pray for my brothers and sisters and my friends here today who are facing, they're facing the death of their dreams, many of them. Many of them, just like the disciples, they were facing the death of their dreams. Jesus knew this was hard, and he knew this was serious, and he didn't take it lightly. He didn't joke around with them, and he didn't act like, oh, this is nothing. He treated it like it was very serious and he leaned into their feelings and their emotion. And he leaned into their pain. And I want to do that the best I can. I can't do it as well as you did it, Jesus. But I want to lean into the people in this room, in this room who some of their dreams are not coming to pass. And they're feeling stressed and they're feeling anxious. But I want to, I want to see you impart to them a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So they can have the peace of Jesus. In Jesus' name, would you come and receive communion this morning?
And after you receive communion, please enter into fellowship and uh, there's, there's, uh, there's food and coffee back there and spend some time hanging out with the brothers and sisters. Amen.